I'm Chaya Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip-hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip-hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element. Well, I highlight Fifth Element hip-hop, which is knowledge. Get Ben verified. Otherwise, he will keep posting stats about certified lover boy. Sticking biggies. Rejection email a couple of weeks ago last week. Do you guys want more of that? Do you guys want more of that? Do you really want more of that? I tell you, I don't. Charlie's gonna be mad pissed at me because <laughs> uh, there's only two albums we're gonna talk about this week, and I'm gonna. Hey man, hey man. To be honest, right? This is this, this is kind of like where I stand on like life. So people, people. This is supposed to be a hip hop podcast, so if one of us doesn't talk about it. Some people think that's a credibility loss, but if you guys, if this is the first time you visited the show, just know, couldn't give a fuck. Hi Ben, how's your week been? I wonder what you've been listening to this week. Look, I'm going to talk about Lewis Sims next week because I want to give both these albums, I've done a little bit of a deep Good, dive. Good, because I am going to gas. Charlie's going to gas it up, but I'll talk about it next week, but don't worry, you're going to hear about Lewis Sims as soon as I'm finished. Boy, let me just indulge me a second. I'm going to talk about Donda first. I thought this album was brilliant. It took me a couple of listens to get there. And I know everybody is saying, don't review the man, review the music. But I understand both sides of this. You know, Kanye West is one of the most magnetic humans we've seen in a long time. And he draws your attention regardless of how you feel about him. And it's rare for someone to claim ignorance to Kanye, you know. So Donda's not just a record. It's a, It's been a live experience for many months now. And at the center of the spectacle has been Kanye and his mom. And it's perfectly within bounds, I think, to... to view uh, Donda based on how you actually feel about Kanye West because this is not an instrumental album you know Kanye provides 7,000 words which is the second most of his entire career so if you feel a certain way about Kanye you're going to have those feelings about the music and that's fair but I'm not going to I'm not going to review it in that way I think that the music is a spectacle I think it's just as haphazard as we predicted a few episodes ago the features pop up they drift off they explode into life and it's really wild, you know, like when Jay-Z is rapping, I can almost see in my mind's eye Kanye West sitting in the studio watching him and listening and allowing him the space to say whatever he wanted. And that's one of the triumphs of Donda. The guests are given free reign. Like there's a concept for sure and there are religious themes, but I actually think the concept gives some of these artists more freedom than they would have in their own solo work. They're allowed to be incredibly vulnerable and emotional and it's a safe space. And this is actually what I hoped uh, his 2018 album, Yay, would do. If you remember, we did a whole episode on mental health and the importance of that record. And I wanted the legacy of that record to be a space for every MC to not just be vulnerable, but be understood and to be able to connect to the vulnerability in their audience. And so what started at 808 has continued into Donda. And I think this is actually the culmination of what Kanye has been trying to do since 2004 with Jesus walks and all falls down, which is honesty. Like posturing, sure, but the freedom to emote and be honest about your mind state. And I saw another criticism about Kanye's religion. Now, I'm not religious. I'm agnostic, so I can't speak on the intricacies of the Christian faith. But I will say that I see the arc. You know, Kanye's broken, and he told us that at the start of his 2018 album, Yay. And this is part of the process. And I think on Jesus Lord, he revealed the whole landscape. He says, sitting by myself, I'm just thinking about all I've been through, I wish I was dreaming. 
man, it's hard to be an angel when you're surrounded by demons. And lately I've been swimming on the deepest end. It's just drugs. It ain't no hugs. There's no love there. You've been down so much you don't even know what's upstairs. Suicidal thoughts got you wondering what's up there. And then the hook is, tell me if you know someone that needs Jesus. Uh, and, you know, that might not be explicitly autobiographical, but then the second verse of the very next song, he says, what they vandalize, he'll evangelize. So I think what's happening is, you know, Kanye doesn't have to deliver some postmodern take on religious zealots. He doesn't have to dissect what it means to be a Christian and a rapper. He doesn't have to sit down and read us all the Bible chapters he's referencing so we know he's authentic. In the midst of turmoil and struggle, Kanye West sought out religion as a safe haven, as millions have done before and millions will in the future. And the thing that worked for me was not focusing on dissecting his religion. I listened to what made him seek it out and become so devout, and the pain he experiences psychologically, how the microscope of fame has set his life on fire, and how he's now forced to gather up the ashes and renew himself yet again, and how hard he's tried for the last 14 years to heal himself with no success, and how that's driven him to seek out someone better than he is, someone more powerful. And this is a far cry from Kanye of 2010, who strode back into the mainstream with power, after the Taylor Swift incident. This is a whole different, this is a Kanye who was scared, but he's open. And it's been painful to watch in the last few years. But, you know, I think he didn't give up. He fought. And if religion helps him fight and stay alive and strive to be a better human, that's a far more powerful message than some intellectual dissection of modern Christianity that a lot of people seem to be expecting. And I think it's a great album. I think it's actually a really amazing album. Uh, I think it's his best since Pablo. Might even be better than Pablo. So... Yeah, man, I, I just wanted to go deep on that. And then Certified Lover Boy. Well, like, I don't hate this album. I see a lot of people calling it mid or trash. Uh, it's a Drake album. If you don't like Drake, then don't listen to it. If you do like Drake, you'll most likely enjoy this album. And I did have a feeling that Drake might drop something new or special or conceptual. Uh, but I don't think it was anything particularly new. I think he sounds more consistent on CLB and Revitalized. Um, I've been tracking how paranoid Drake has been. You know, if you know, if you follow hip hop numbers, you'll know the paranoid slash anxious Drake analysis. And I've watched his discomfort grow as he's progressed over the last decade. And 45.5% of his bars on Scorpion were paranoid, anxious, defensive. And that's compared to 2.9% on his debut album, Thank Me Later. So that line graph shows a genuine steady increase as his fame has increased. And he often occupies a defensive position of feeling like he's attacking, being attacked from multiple sides. And it's really sad he has to go through that. But I've actually connected heavily with those lyrical themes. I think Drake is a very personal, in-depth artist. And I think this gets lost in the narrative because people don't truly sit with the lyrical content. I think too often the narrative is just throwaway bars or random quotables. But listening to entire verses and songs and analyzing the lyrics, Drake is actually a really deep artist. And I think CLB might be Drake turning a corner. I feel it has a much more upbeat energy lyrically. Rather than reacting to circumstances, he's beginning to retake control of them. And I think the whole album is a deep dive into the issue of control. Uh, I think every project since nothing was the same is part of that deep dive. And there's plenty of TV shows where the main character starts accumulating money in what becomes a hopeless bid to control their lives and the lives of those around them, like billions, Peaky Blinders, Power. It's one of the most common tropes in TV shows of the last decade or two, and they inevitably discover they can climb to the top rung of the ladder, but when they get there, this control that they seek is so far beyond their reach, it's pointless, and they fall, and they die, or their organization crumbles, or their family gets hurt. Drake is a real-life version of this, 
And, you know, he's not at that top rung yet because I have not seen this disintegration. And I really hope we don't see that disintegration. I really hope that that's just part of these TV shows to to drag people in. Um, because, you know, at the moment, he's the walking embodiment of more money, more problems. This juxtaposition of the quest for elusive control with the relationship bars on here is like, it's a weird mix. And it kind of lifts Drake out of relatable territory and into just straight up fantasy for the overwhelming majority of his audience. Even like a song like fucking fans, you know, if he changed the title and removed the third verse, it'd be really relatable. But the third verse he raps, if she got a watch, then you know, it's not a stainless. I was out here fucking fans. I was shameless. Um, you know, that's not us. That's not the listeners. You know, that's LeBron James, that's Usher and Nelly in the mid 2000s. And I think too often the songs circle back to his stature, which is another defense mechanism. And it's relatable on some level, but that requires a lot of abstraction from the audience because, you know, like after a breakup, we might go to the gym and, and get ripped. But Drake goes and he flexes. He's got his signature on a pair of Jordans that are worth $30,000 or he, you know, tells us that his Forbes net worth is nothing like what it really is. And so that's like, it, it removes that relatable content. And I think that's why people are struggling with it a little bit. And you know, it, I think it's a good album. I think it's, I don't think it's a great album. Um, but I think Drake is a deeper artist than people give him credit for. And yeah, I just want to bring that to light. So yeah, that's me. That's all you're going to hear. Um, we're not going to do an episode on Drake and Kanye. We're not going to do an episode on Donda and Certified Lover Boy. I hope that I've satiated your desires with those two reviews. Um, but that was me, Charlie. What did you get into yourself this week? It's funny because like, uh, you know the concept of tired and wired? No. I feel like all... I feel, okay, so there's a concept called tired and wired. So basically it's just like, you know, it, I think it's like a like a business meme where like, you know, you, what your, what the strategy you guys have is tired, whether as mine is wired. And I feel like exactly like that because this has been one of the like most fun weeks for me personally, listening-wise. And all you lot will listen to is those two albums and bitching about those two albums and hosting Spotify green rooms about these two albums and hosting clubhouse rooms about these two al- albums and Twitter spaces about these two albums. I don't care anymore. I just don't care. Anyway, I got into nine projects. Uh, start off with a uh, wounded Buffalo beat. Shout out to uh, uh, people at Snowgoons for this one. Uh, drop this one for me on the email. Um, yeah, wounded EP. Um, basically, he's uh, <clears throat> just straight up... Uh, kind of like child of DJ Premier kind of beats going on, you know what I mean? Just the really fat beats, really fat boom bap beats. Uh, I'm here for it. There's some decent features in here. Uh, there's a, a Master Ace feature in here that I just uh, absolutely loved. Uh, but also on top of that, uh, Raw Digger on the same track, Rap Bandit, so it was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, you know, some some good stuff on here. It's 18 minutes, not too long. Uh, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're thirsty for some... Uh, Modern boom bap, go for that. Uh, Jay Farrow, spitting image. Uh, <laughs> so if you don't know Jay Farrow, he's a, he's a comedian. Uh, very good comedian. One of my favourites uh, of, of recent years. He used to be on SNL. Uh, master imp- impersonator or impressionist, whatever you want to call it. And uh, basically this EP is just <laughs> all of his impressions put into one. Uh, you got the Drake one, you got the Lil Wayne one, you got the Jay Z one, Big Sean. It's just, there's just so many here. It's just, it's just absolutely. And actually, and actually, the bars are really good. Like it's actually really good bars wise. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's not serious at all. But it's a very fun listen. I have to admit. So shout out to Jay Fair on that front. Big fan. Um, 
Saint with an E at the end, a uh, local MVP. Uh, put onto this. Shout out to Mickey for putting onto this one for me, uh, ISOS host. And um, yeah, I really, I really like it. It's, it's kind of like uh, y- y- you listen to the voice and you think like he should be, <clears throat> you think he should be like a drill rapper, right? In terms of, like just how the voice comes comes across. It's very, it's very, uh, you know, what I mean, it's very aggro. But um, the the beats just come off like super calm, super chilled. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a really it's a really interesting uh, dynamic go- happening here. It's like Coat of the Friend, but just more rugged. I, I I don't know. I'm here for it, but it's also but you know I don't want to say that in terms of like you know Coat can't be rugged, but yeah, that's not his lane. But the beats are kind of similar on here. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just a really fascinating dynamic. I, I don't have to explain. I can't explain it better than that. Uh, so you have to live with that. Uh, RB the Nomad, RB versus the Universe. Um, shout out to the Central Source guys for putting me onto this one, uh, via their, uh, Source Fest, uh, this, uh, earlier this year. Uh, put on RB the Nomad on there. He did a performance and I actually really enjoyed it. It was one of my favorites of that, uh, of that show of that mini festival and uh you know this album came across and i was like oh go on then if I've, I've been meaning to peep him so yeah it's 33 minutes um super funky super just oh it's just it's just really fun it's just a really fun listen uh you know has the has these uh <clears throat> has these fun features that just they're just sit nice they just sit nice they're they're, they're there as a create uh, to creatively help the project along, and uh, they're just really uh, they're not just there to just be a feature. They help the rest of the album, and uh, yeah, it just progresses very nicely. It comes across like a dream. Uh, it's thirty three minutes, thirty four minutes, and uh, yeah, that those thirty three minutes just just gone. <laughs> it's just you, you turn on the album and it's gone already. It's, it's just a really fun listen, really enjoyable listen. Super funky, nice raps, great flows. I'm here for it all, so I shout out to Uh Grip, I died for this? Uh, question mark, exclamation mark. Um, I meant to peep this last week, and I finally got to it this week. Uh, I remember you said like there was a good Eminem feature that you listened to recently, and I'm wondering whether this is one or walkthrough. Is this on the grip? Yeah, yeah, it's a good Eminem feature, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Grip managed to do it. Um, he grip got it done. Shout to grip and uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not really. I, I was walking dog while listening to this, so uh, the concept kind of flew over my head. Uh, so don't ask me for any like specifics on like what the album's about. Uh, but with that said, it is a very enjoyable listen. I remember listening to Snub Nose and really loving that project. Uh, I think that was like from a perspective of a, of a gun, and it just fascinated me so much. And you know. It's very eccentric in some ways, creatively. I feel like uh, Grip doesn't get enough credit. Uh, I feel like he's uh, on the same level creatively as like your... I don't know, it's like your, maybe like your Denzels, right? Just, just something something of that nature. I'm, I'm, I did have names in mind, but I just said <laughs> that they've just totally gone out of my head. Uh, but yeah, regardless of that, uh, it's just some great bars, uh, really great concept of the little eye focused on it. But I do know there's a concept here. Good features here and there. Uh, Royce to five nine placebo is really good. Uh, Eminem, uh, uh, as we mentioned, Penny's exit stage left. That last track of Kane Nails and Kenny Mason is aggro as fuck, and I love it. Um, so yeah, solid album. 
really creative, uh, really good creative juices. Oh yeah, IDK is on that level. You know what I mean? It's just like mm. you lot talk. We, we talk about IDK a lot. I feel like Griff should be getting the same love on that fashion. Mm. So yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, I'm gonna leave that for last. <laughs> Hamza, because uh, I usually do chronologically, but I'm, I'm, this is special. Uh, Hamza, full circle. Love me some Hamza. Uh, one of the best British R&B artists going on right now. Um, this is a great EP. A little bit different from her usual, uh, from her previous work. Um, I really enjoyed Phases and First Signs of Me. Uh, I was like, I think I was like battling of which one to put on the EP list. I think I picked Phases, but they're both great. Um, and this one's just on the same level. Uh, this is just some really, really good UK R&B. If you're on that tip, please get on this. Uh, some just some amazing vocals. Some uh, really good, uh, really. There's, there's, a, there's a little bit of freshness on 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 her um growth uh, on the evolution of this record of uh, this uh, EP here. Um, she's a little bit more out there in terms of just like um, what she's talking about and how confident she sounds. Not to say she wasn't confident previously, because obviously because Phases was very happy go lucky, but this is like more I'm confident. You know, what I mean, it's more straight back, strong. I I, I, I like I like the vibe of it, uh, and I've. But binned my notes off on the tab. Let me go back. Uh, Khan, Sunset Crest Drive. Love me some Khan, as always. Always drop in. Life, uh, <laughs> death, taxes, and Khan dropping. And uh, yeah, this is good. So I really like this one. Uh, Khan actually does some production on here. Uh, I've seen he's been doing it before, but I just noticed on this one. Uh, he did, did a majority of the production on this one. And uh, yeah, it's a real good use of samples on this as well. Great flows, the speed, uh, the speed bars are here as well. I, I, I just, I just love Khan, man. He just, he always gets it done. Uh, Larange, uh, the world is still chaos, but I feel better. Um, really fascinating instrumental record here with uh, some notable names coming on to just like uh, I think in some ways talk about the concept of the world is still chaos, but I feel better. Um, Selene Brigham, one of the t- one of them, and also comedian uh, Nish Kumar, which uh, was just when I put it on, I was just like, why the fuck is Nish Kumar on this? I'm not, I'm not hating on it, but I was just wondering how that even happened. When when did that phone call happen? Someone let me know. Lorange Nish Kumar, please let me know. I'd love to know. Uh, but yeah, man, it's a solid. Uh, if you've heard of Lorange before, go listen to that Marlowe from a couple from like a year or so ago. One of my, Marlo two, especially one of my favorite projects recently. Uh, and this one's just all more same, like really eccentric, um, really eccentric, but also just a classic kind of feel to the beats as well. I, I can't, I can't hype it enough. <sighs> and I'm gonna try and do this short because we we're <laughs> we're nearly twenty minutes in. But um, <clears throat> little Sims, sometimes I might be introvert. I'm going to put this simply as uh, if I'll be very surprised if I don't put this top five uh, into, uh, you know what, fuck it. I, I'm, I'm su- I'll be very surprised if I don't put this top three into my albums of the years, uh, album of the year list. There's only two albums I can think of that are just as good as this in terms of me just enjoying that first listen. That's usually how I go about it uh, at first. And then obviously I go uh, listen later, uh, later on during the, later on in the year. But fucking hell, this is absolutely outstanding. Um, I'll say, I'll word it like this. Um, If you haven't listened to Lil Sims before, this is the perfect album for you to get into Lil Sims. Right now, right now, go spin that Lil Sims. I'm not even saying it just like to bigger up. I feel like if you want to listen to Lil Sims, don't start a Trials and Persons. Don't go to a mixtape stuff. Start here because this is truly 
objectively her magnum opus and is absolutely outstanding. In 19 tracks and 60 summit minutes, it just abs- it's an absolute fucking movie. It has it has the elements of stillness and wonderland with the interludes with Emma Corrin, a noted actress, um, posing as like this uh, I, I I don't know like a life coach fairy godmother kind of vibe it's got this disney element to the interludes as well and it and it just brings me back to like stillness and wonderland but that had more of a uh that had a more of an abstract sense into the obviously the wonderland alice in wonderland uh uh, uh concept um i will say that uh gray area has is a is a uh has is a is pound for pound the better listen just because the, obviously that's 10 tracks and all 10 tracks bang there's no misses on here not to say there aren't a miss here um but i will say speed is probably a maybe skip uh from me but that's but hey fuck 18 out of 19 is not fucking bad and that includes the interludes i will listen to them interludes trust me okay um so yeah there's that and uh yeah i i wish i could talk about this uh, for longer because but i want to save time but fuck fuck in hell this is what this was worth the wait um i'm looking at the album right now i've got it on vinyl sitting next uh sitting on a little pedestal next to me right now uh it's outstanding if you haven't listened to little sims don't go from the beginning like most like you you probably should with most artists start here and work your way back um then you'll really get like the true growth here it, the, the growth is absolutely stupid and with that said we shall hop into our topic of this episode uh, which is all about uh, something that Ben's been mulling over for the past couple of months uh, to do with, uh, I guess, uh, ownership and uh, intellectual property uh, pertaining, I, I'm assuming, to lyrics specifically. Um, but obviously, you know, we, we I think I think we've talked about producers before. That was probably like the first three episodes or something like that, um, or four episodes if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, this one's obviously a bit more leaning towards the lyrics and uh, the concept of intellectual property. So uh, take it away, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I think... So basically, the thing that sparked it was uh, Euro Drug and Mac Homie having their lyrics forcibly removed from Genius. And I think there's a big discussion to have around this because I think, you know, on the surface level, if you look at that, it's their art, it's their intellectual property, and they have every right to do it if they want to. And I want to discuss their motivations a little bit, but I also want to dive into the internet, co-opting content from artists and repurposing it uh, in thinly veiled self-serving ways. And I think that line differs with every artist and every outlet. But don't like I'm not being critical of Genius here at all. I actually think Genius provide a really essential service. I think their archive of lyrics is one of the most valuable parts of the entire internet you know they're a catalog of searchable art and i think regardless of whether they have annotations their mission to bring knowledge to a broader base will always be complete as long as they have you know they're documenting lyrical content but when your old drug was asked he said the lyrics have been removed for a multitude of reasons and then mac homie said the game is to be sold to you not told to you and the website i read that on called that cryptic but i hardly think that that's cryptic I mean, that's just an artist who created something and wants to be paid for it. It's very simple. And people can criticize that if they want, but if there's no demand, there will be no supply. And Mac Homie is providing us with plenty of supply, so there must be demand. And I think on the surface level, 
just with regards to removing your your lyrics from genius you know art is open to interpretation and when you read lyrics out without the music it can irreparably modify their meaning and their impact and we might not think it's common for people to just pop on genius and do a bit of light reading of your old droog's lyrics but how often have we seen tweets or ig posts of like you know lyric cards with lyrics taken entirely out of context there are even like entire twitter accounts devoted to you know, making fun of, of lyrics and they're just called lyrics out of context. And they're funny, don't get me wrong, they're funny. But the problem is sometimes once you read a lyric like that without the music and without knowing the artist, you won't hear it the same way again. So I can never be mad at an artist for wanting that control back. And the, the argument then might be art is subjective. So once you release it, you have to accept people will have an opinion on it. On, opinion on it. And this is very true. But reading two bars on an Instagram post without the music behind it is not the art. You know, that's like taking the snare off a song and saying, you know, and listening to only the snare and then judging this, the, the song based entirely on that isolated snare. So I think what I'm trying to say here is it seems to me that when artists do this, they're trying to take back control of the dissemination of their art. And I think that that's very important. And I think it's something that's been lost over the last like 15, 20 years with regards to the internet because like you know with piracy everyone was just stealing music you know people were just getting music for free and and artists had like basically once they put that song out once they put that album out they had no control over how it was disseminated because it was going up on torrent sites and everything and do i think that you know artists taking their lyrics off genius for example is a slippery slope and I think maybe it is, but what's at the bottom of that slope? You know, it's the artist controlling the way their art is disseminated. And I don't think we can criticize the decision by Mac Homie to remove his lyrics from Genius, then simultaneously praise him for selling his music at higher price points. You know, he creates demand by scarcity and turning his music into high value art. And, you know, you might not criticize him for removing his lyrics from Genius, but the implications are actually pretty far reaching. Um, because, you know, what happens when artists want to remove their album art from social media sites? And from the conversations I've had, Twitter has significantly tightened its copyright policy lately. And again, this is just what I heard. I, I can't confirm it. But accounts are being suspended for posting copyrighted pictures, which are pictures taken by professional photographers and then reposted without credit and permission. Well, without permission is the better word there because you could credit, sure. But if you don't have that permission, they can still withdraw that permission and, and you could still get you know a copyright claim. So now think about it. If the team behind the art of an album decides that they don't want it published on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, on any platform that they're not in control of, they have every right to do that. It's theirs. So we do not have the right to reproduce their work under, that, under those circumstances. You know, there are... Um, fair use rules as well, but they're quite murky and they're difficult to understand. So how would you feel about that if your Instagram account with 100,000 followers was suspended indefinitely for posting the artwork to a Frank Ocean album? You know, if you notice on Hip Hop Numbers in the Twitter, on Twitter in the media section, I've entirely scrubbed all pictures, album covers, screenshots of album covers, it's all gone. And it fucked my algorithm so badly. I lost like 30 million views a month when I did that. But I would much rather lose those views than lose my account forever, you know. And I think that that's the whole thing is like, yeah, it's like a, it's only two artists removing their lyrics from Genius. And I don't think it's going to become, a, you know, a torrent of artists doing this kind of thing, removing album art, removing the. I don't think that's going to happen. But what I do think it does is really gives us an opportunity to discuss like 
once the artist puts the album out, it's not theirs anymore, but it still is theirs. You know, it still is their property. It's their intellectual property. But now people are just doing whatever they want with it. And if you think about like, you know, Yasin Bey released an album that was only played during Art Basel in Hong Kong. It's never going to be released on on physical or streaming or it's just we're not going to hear it. We're never going to hear it. That's a very extreme example. And we might be a little bit pissed off at him for doing that, right? Because we want to fucking hear it. But in the end, how could you be pissed off at him? You know, it's entirely his decision. It's his art. And so it's that push and pull between what the audience wants and how we want to kind of own everything. And I really do think that that whole thing started with the streaming, uh, sorry, the, the piracy era, where like all of a sudden music was just ours. You know, we just log on to Spotify now and it's ours. We pay $12 a month and we can do what, let's play it, when it whenever we want, play it in any setting we want, you know. So I think it's an interesting discussion. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see what Charlie thinks about it. So a couple of thoughts <clears throat> towards that. Um, the slippery slope part uh, kind of reminds me, and this is not the this is not the bottom of it that you kind of asked for, um, but it's it's near. <clears throat> so I know like there's uh, you know comedians, you know when they before they go up on uh, before they do stand up tours, right? They do work in progress shows, right? To well, like he says, work in progress, right? They they tell they tell jokes that you know are still raw, still working out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know what a lot of them do is that uh, I, I don't know if a lot of them or just like you know the top top echelon, um, but you know what some of them do. I'll say some is that they you know ask the audience not to retell the jokes, right? Uh, obviously, there's some comedians that uh, take this a little bit further, and I don't know. Uh, well, I know a couple of them don't have, you know, don't allow phones, right? Don't allow recording devices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there is a comedian that you know forces everyone to sign an NDA um, because you know I, I know there's artists that you know when they host shows they have to sign an nda for like whatever happens at the party right you know we've heard those kind of stories right so you know i can imagine a comedian doing that okay um so take that and then <clears throat> add it to the yasin bay example that he gave right that's there's a correlation there right um same it same if you go to a theater um you know, if you if you go to a theatre for a really good show that's out on West End, Broadway, whatever the Australian uh, comparison is to those two things, um, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna try and record, right? Because most people just understand that. Same when you go to a cinema, right? You're paying for that particular event, and you're going to absorb that event. And maybe you're going to talk about it. Maybe you're a, you're a film reviewer and you're going to review that thing. Okay. So let's start bringing it into the uh, to the, the to this ownership space. Okay. So what if said reviewer uh, of that film? Uh, how much? What at what point can they talk about the film to the point where? Not you specifically, Ben, but I'm just saying you as a in a royal you. Um, <laughs> that's, that's no such thing, but you know what I mean. Um, 
<laughs> in the royal you uh what if uh what, what, what if uh, you i don't know talk about a certain scene and you're like no then no you can't talk about that scene because that's ruining it so is that the same as uh a music reviewer uh, dropping a couple of bars to explain their point, as a lot of a lot of uh, reviews I've seen over the past couple of days uh, have done for certain albums of interest. Right? Uh, is that is that jacking in this case? Is 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 it that, or is that just I don't know? Right? So, like you, like I'm I'm just laying out. I'm just trying to lay out the slippery slope here. Um, I don't know what the bottom of that is. I guess. I guess the extreme of it is um, probably probably just um, I don't know in in the sense of a comedian doing a doing a show and only a, like let's say like fifty people can see it can't record nothing they can't tell the jokes uh, back to people for obvious reasons right. Maybe it's something like that. Well, wouldn't it just because... be yes in Bay? Like, wouldn't that be that the very that yeah. slippery slope? So, so you think so you think Yasin's the extreme? Yeah, I mean, there's probably that you could say worst case and not worst case scenario, but you could call them. You know, there could be more extreme settings. Like maybe Wu Tang, you could even say was more extreme. You know, with uh, that's a good point. Yeah. So the so the Once Upon a Time in Shaolin album, mm-hmm. that one album that is one hard copy in that one big silver box, and well, I think the U.S. government uh, own it right now. They actually uh, just sold it. They sold it. Did they sell it? They okay, did, they yeah. managed to sell it. Okay, yeah. So there you go. So some random person owns it now, mm-hmm. <coughs> and <coughs> excuse me, coming back from a cough. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, they they have it, and I guess in that case, only Wu Tang, Martin Shkreli, maybe a cheeky government operative, hmm. and uh, <laughs> and this and this uh, and this other person ha- has heard the album. Um, I do wonder, by the way, is it a disc or a vinyl? Is yeah, it I don't know. A I'm MP3, not sure. you know, a flak, flak file, just USB. Just imagine that big box and just USB in it. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I hope it's I hope it's a vinyl just for the just for the just for the kicks, or maybe it's a cassette. Uh, a cassette. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, imagine that a track. <laughs> That'd be dope. That'd be what? <laughs> oh, I'd actually I'd actually laugh if it was cassette. But anyway, yeah. So. <clears throat> is that is that the extreme, right? And I guess we've laid two laid out two good extremes there. But getting back to the top of the slope, I guess. Um, and you mentioned obviously, you know, social media's uh, addition to this. Um, you know, in that way, I have no idea how to extrapolate that because in some way you could also say that about uh about tv and or or, but you know so you know how like um so you know how like uh i don't know uh someone does a live show on like a a late night tv show and they like fap the album just before they announce Mm. the you know here's a here's a new here's a new song from uh this person's album 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 name Please welcome artist. Uh, is that sh- is that shown of the album? Uh, you know, it kind of gets into NFT territory. You know what I mean? Mm. In some ways, because obviously NFTs in in some ways bullshit because 
these are things it's it's just a fucking jpeg bruv like it's just a jpeg i'm sorry i know the code i know the the special thing is yeah but you're buying code you're, you're buying code that's that's just how i see it no diss to who participates in it um because i've seen people make bank um but fuck I, I just don't know i just don't know if i can if i have the if I have the mental strength to just like actually try and finesse myself to finesse other people to say, Hey, look, this is one, th- here's this bit of code. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, but anyway, uh, I, I, I would do it technically, technically once upon a time, Shaolin is in some ways an NFT. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bullshitting, but anyway, <clears throat> so yeah, um, uh, you know, if 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 someone if someone watches that 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 show on YouTube and then screenshots the album, does that count as like uh, taking somebody's shit? Um, I don't know, but it's also a matter of like benefit because if you if if your album, there we go, take certified lover boy. The reason why Drake had that album cover is because he fucking knew that shit would be memed to the death. Okay. That's the only reason he did it. Only reason. He knew it. He he calculated that shit. He was just like, yeah, let's do these fucking emojis. And then everyone's just going to jack it and make it into something uh, that, that is, is moldable. Okay? So that's going to benefit Drake. So do you think that's going to... Do, do, do you think Drake in, in some way would ever do something like a Mac homie? No. Because why <laughs> people you people literally take drake lyrics and just put it on an ig caption just to be ironic and while you all losers for that you know he takes the dub regardless so uh i don't know if matt commie would feel the same way if he was drake so i'd like to throw that out there and throw it back to you well that's a great thing i mean i think that's a great point like as i said earlier it's also individual uh and so yeah an artist like mac homie's not trying to go number one and break streaming records on spotify at least i don't assume so it doesn't sound like that's what his goal is but you know drake's goal might be that so drake is very happy that's for these fine. and you know i actually had a conversation with someone at a record label about the about the album cover art thing uh when accounts were starting to get removed from twitter for posting you know pictures of artists basically uh and i said to them you know do you think that this will happen for albums and this person said not 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 on our end because we're stoked when you guys post album covers we want you to post album covers we're happy for you to do that and you can't but but that's like a blanket you can't apply that like a blanket rule you can't just say, oh, well, you know, that means album covers are, are fine because it's going to be every individual. And actually what I'm doing on, on Instagram is when I post the album art uh, of independent artists, if there is actually an artist listed, I reach out to them on Instagram and make sure it's okay to post their album art. I've done that with uh, RTJ stuff, um, Little Sim stuff, uh, plenty of stuff before, and mostly they're fine with it. Sometimes they're actually not okay with it, and I've taken the post down or not posted it in the first place because you know. So that's that's that 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 line there, and I think I, the problem is I think we're already too far gone to to ever start walking this back because you know in my own small way, like uh, I think that once these things get out there, and I think the problem that a lot of people are having is the narratives that are being created around their art that they're not in control of. Now, if we look at Drake as an example with Certified Lover Boy, it's, it's pretty clear he d- he's not too concerned about it. You know, it's pretty clear, like he put on his he put on his new album that he's a lesbian, you know? 
And in the context of the song and the context of what he was trying to say, it kind of makes sense. Like it sounds to me like uh, the girl was saying, you know, she only likes girls now because guys are just douchebags. So Drake was, it sounded to me like he was trying to make fun of her by saying, yeah, well, I'm a lesbian too. Ha ha ha. Very funny. But everyone was like, oh my God, Drake called himself a lesbian. So now there's like all, but, but it doesn't seem like Drake really cares. I don't know personally, but I think once this happens, you know, for example, when I started first gaining traction on hip hop numbers, I was constantly accused by dedicated fans of creating narratives with my statistics, you know, deliberately leaving some things out, putting some things in, choosing what to tweet and why in order to manipulate whoever read my tweets. Um, you know, firstly, that's not possible for me to do that after a certain level, because once I tweet, the tweet is no longer mine. You know, my initial intentions are not relevant anymore unless they're really overt, because once I tweet, its message becomes the property of whoever reads it. Not the actual tweet, not the statistics, not that, not the intellectual property, but they're going to have their own reaction to it, you know, and they have divergent value systems, different life experiences, um, and the speaker implies and the listener infers. You know, I'm not going to reveal what I'm trying to imply in a tweet usually. Uh, I might, but like it's it's usually not, it's usually just me reposting some shit and if you look at the comments and replies, the narratives that come out are crazy. Like not crazy in like a crazy, insane way, but like they're really going in depth on these things. You know, these are narratives that I could never have in my wildest dreams thought of. I would never have thought like in that direction when I, when I tweeted that. Um, and so this is true of music. And you see this play out in vivid detail during the Donda rollout, for example. You know, the theories and the think pieces and the rabbit holes and explanations and narratives are quite literally endless. And it's not even like Kanye's art is particularly open-ended when you compare it to other forms of art. Like he's giving us overt lyrical content. But once music is put out into the world, the message, unless it's like, you know, they've really worked fucking hard on it. It doesn't belong to the artist. And again, legally, I'm not saying that the music doesn't belong to them. But like, how many times have you as a listener looked up an interview with an artist to see what they actually intended with their album? How many times have you gone on Genius and looked at what the artists have said about the, this song section? You know, how many people watch those woeful Zane Lowe interviews where he sits down with an artist and asks, hey man, so what did you mean by this song? You know, like just, you could replace him with a brick wall. Like honestly, Always the genuinely a brick wall with a speaker where he just says, hey man, what did you think about this song? What did you mean? Anyway, so like, but think about it. You know, some people will, right? Some people will do that and seek out those explanations. If you listen to this <laughs> podcast, you probably do it more than the average because we go pretty in-depth in our episodes. But I would say the overwhelming majority don't care. And all they do is go on social media and look at the narrative on social media or look at their favorite reviewer and look at the narrative that their favorite reviewer has come up with. So now it's that whole two-step process again that we talked about ages ago in like getting information. It's like you're getting information secondhand from someone who's already interpreted it their own way. Now you're getting their interpretation. So it's like it's a mess. And I think this must be maddening for an artist, especially when their songs are taken out of context and their lyrics. You know, cherry picking is the greatest asset that proponents of the post-truth world have. 
you know, they want to spread disinformation and overt lies amongst large groups of people. And I've heard multiple rappers say in interviews, notably, and producers as well, because it's Just Blaze. I remember him saying this explicitly. I think it was on Combat Jack. Just Blaze. The way that news aggregators will grab a soundbite, chop it off from everything else, and then present it as a new narrative worthy of discussion. And he said, I only do these kind of interviews because I don't want my 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 words to be chopped up and he was very cautious with what he was saying in that interview and um i think that that's like a huge problem i think it's a real problem and i think it's ironic that i used to you know i use genius like i don't know i i just think it's i think it's interesting i think it's interesting like i don't think mac homie or euro drug are gonna have an issue with someone going on genius to look at their lyrics to you know, deeper, get a better understanding and a deeper understanding of the music and make sure they didn't catch anything. But maybe they, they feel like they don't control that. And um, yeah, maybe that's why they're doing that. It's like once that once that's out there, that narrative, and that's a bit scary too when you think about it. Like, you know, all these narratives that are being created that you're not in control of. Like, I can understand why that would be very confronting for an artist. Uh, two points I want to drop. Um, so firstly, as a uh, as what I would do in their shoes is that I'd create something that I've been wanting so many people to do, which is lyric books. I want, I yeah. want, I want people to start doing lyric books or put lyrics uh, back in the credits, man. Do you like the old days when we bought that CDs? Too, that was fucking yeah. sick. Yeah. When you would yeah. like get the, li- I think yeah. Dynasty was the first album I ever bought with it, and like all the lyrics, and I'm just sitting there yep. in the tiny little yep. print. You know that tiny little. Print. Yep. Oh, it was yep. fucking cool, man. Yeah, man. I still, I still, I still get some vinyl that has lyrics that just have lyrics in the gatefold, and it's just like it's sick. Like it's cool. It's cool. To, it's, it, it helps. It fits the aesthetic all the time, every time. And it, and you know, it's, it's just fun to listen and then just read them as you're there. Like just, yeah, it's just it's just throwback, right? But um, lyric books are a good shout as an alternative. Um, uh, but that obviously will. But then again, and and this kind of gets to my second point. So I'll, I'll let me push back. Let me pull that push that back a bit because I want to say this. Um, yeah, you know, I would love to see lyric books in the same way I have uh, the script of Moonlight in this really sexy, just like high quality hardback, uh, hardback book. It's just it's just wonderful. Like I got the whole script. It's just sitting there looking nice wonderful pages high quality it's just like i would i would literally do that for so many albums and scripts as well so you know get on that any everyone but anyway uh the second point i wanted to make in terms of um uh you know i i feel like it's kind of getting this is kind of pushing back against human nature in some way uh and especially when it pertains to art because art is kind of in essence meant to be individually subjectively critiqued and contextualized right um some people don't do it because they either don't want to or they just don't have the you know the capacity to um sometimes i just want to watch a film because it's funny i don't care if it's problematic i don't care if it's uh just dumb as shit Bro, people watch the room religiously. I'm sorry, like you know, what I mean, it's just it's shit like that. That's right? just funny, it, but it, just people, just, yeah, exactly. It's just funny. People don't care sometimes. People just want to watch dumb shit and just enjoy themselves. Okay, yeah, yeah. so you know, sometimes art is just you know whatever, right? And really has no need to be to contextualize or has no need to be uh, digged 
and to be, uh, 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 you know, pulled apart, right? Um, but, you know, <laughs> how many how many paintings are there in the world, right? Where, you know, you go people, you go to a gallery and you see a painting or you see a sculpture and you're just like, what does this mean to you? And some people just go, well, it's just a fucking painting, bruv. It's just some paint. <laughs> it's a person sitting on a chair. But then some people go like, no, 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 look at her emotion. Like she looks like a, she looks like a mother that's a, 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 a you know, just lost a child. You know what I mean? Just, just, just making deep shit, right? And you know, regardless if I, I don't, you, you never know whether they're right or not because uh, Da Vinci uh, did not have uh, Twitter, unfortunately, right? So in this, well, in this day and age, you can, can you have uh, just Blaze and them have the ability just to contextualize. Blaze. They're, they're, they're just please. Uh, you, have, you have to do it. You just have to do it. Um, <laughs> best producer, pa- producer tag ever. Um, uh, top five, anyway. Uh, you know, you have, you have some. They have the ability to really take back this, um, this, as I said, human nature to just take things and put their own spin on it. Right? There, there's, there, there's rarely, there's rarely any art. Where we're all in, uh, we're all in agreement is good or bad because of X reasons, you know. It's it's never, it's ninety nine percent never that. Yeah, it's it's ninety nine percent never consensus, uh, contextual uh, context where we just watch a film or watch a TV show or listen to some music or look at a painting and we all go, this is great. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it, it never happens and that's the point of art in some way so I feel like this whole conversation gets very very deep in the weeds of just uh, how humans react to art and how humans uh, and how humans absorb it and uh, what they take from it you know if you listen to you if you listen to YOD or Makomi and you just enjoy the songs then you know you just enjoy the songs and if people want to uh, take their lyrics and uh, you know say it say it means something completely different from what the artist meant to, then <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like it is what it is, right? And and again, you can you have the power now to help like change up uh, and and help fight back against that kind of. It's not. This is this is this is the thing, right? Art is not news. Okay, mm. you, you can't you can't report it. You yeah. can't do misinformation with art. You know what I mean? It's not art is not art is not fact in that way, mm. right? You know how you know how we're to, you know how obviously people are constantly talking about how uh, you know facts are you know becoming less meaningful That's these true. days, and people are getting injected with misinformation and disinformation and stuff like that right that's 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 one thing but for someone saying that this Macomi album means this to them then shit it means that to them i don't know what to tell you mm. if you don't want it if you, if you don't want if you're make if you're making a let's, let's keep it let's boil it down let's boil it down to like this bare bones right <clears throat> if you're ma- if you've made an album uh the, and and the only thing you want people to take away from it is that I'm sad, okay? Very simple. I'm sad. Here's a record about it. And then someone takes that and goes, well, 
he says he's sad, but is he really sad? Let's let's think about it. Mm. You know what I mean? Just there, there, right there, right there. <laughs> you you can't stop that. You you can't stop that 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 mind drifting to something different. You know, you you can't you just can't do it. It's impossible to stop that one person to think different about it. That's why we enjoy art in some way, right? That's why I enjoy certain artists because I see them in a way that I feel is special to me, right? And it's the same for a lot of us. Um that's kind of that's kind of where where all this uh and obviously we can talk about the legalities of, you know, of uh, of um of uh, intellectual property as this um as this episode was initially you know teed up as but that's how it boils down for me like you you can't stop people from thinking different on a record regardless of how and this is rap okay Mm. it's 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 complex in its nature Mm. right you're using words that that rhyme and mean certain things you don't just say this you don't just say the simplest shit Okay, nobody, no rapper says the simplest shit uh, for, 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 yeah, they, they just don't. They try and be different, right? And that's fine. And that's why we love it. So, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you know, there's obviously legal essences to it. And I feel like the only, <clears throat> um, the only um, extreme of that is the Yasin Bey, like, you know, uh, end of it. And saying and and kind of uh, you know it reminds me of and I'll I'll leave you on this. Um, it reminds me of like uh, some a video I saw. I don't know where I saw it. I totally forgot like just how I clocked it, but I just clocked it. And it was someone mulling over what is counterculture and doesn't even exist anymore. And basically, the conclusion they came to is because of social media, everything because everything is on there. It, it can't be counterculture yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's social there. media. <laughs> like you're gonna, you, you get, you're guaranteed to find a community that likes the thing that you're talking about, mm. right? So, uh, if if that's the case, then social media kind of kills anything. Anything that's on social media is not counterculture, yeah. and the only thing that that is counterculture is not being on social media in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And if you get something going. By not using social media, then that's counterculture. Mm. That's true counterculture. Um, so maybe, maybe YOD and Macomi have to do that and not use much social media to be if they want to be that truly counterculture that I feel like they have, you know, uh, 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 you know, really trafficked in recently, um, in a lot of ways. And this obviously way is one. Then you know, keep keep it going. D- dip social media entirely and see and see how that goes. I'm not saying that in a cynical fashion, by the way. I'd like to see them try. I'd I'd want to see that work because if it works, oh my gosh, mm. yes. <laughs> I'd love. I'd, I want counterculture to be back in in a, with Avengers. Honestly, yeah. I mean, the point that you made in that and the point you made a bit earlier is exactly my final point. Um, and it's about my account. You know, earlier I said I don't create narratives. I'm more meant with just the straight up statistical stuff. Like if I post. You know, which rapper has the most streams per song on Spotify? Like, it's a dry retelling of the statistics. But the other side of what my account does is doing deep dives into lyrics looking for narratives. And this is just me being, am I part of this problem? There you go. So, 
I have to be and, and I have to think very carefully and be very careful about how I, I analyze because you know we all have inherent bias bias in every situation and you know we can't possibly observe anything objectively separate from our own biases. So um, you know when I decide what to analyze, I have to be careful I'm not walking down a path of my own choosing and that makes it pretty difficult. You know I remember when uh, Zay started following me and I decided to analyze Sylvia demo and Sun's tirade, and try to bring forth his perspective. And the final tweet was this. The final tweet was, as Irish Shad discography tells a deep, dark story. Percentage of de- bars devoted to mental health, 26.7. Sylvia Demo, 39.1%. Sun's tirade. Addiction, 9.3%. Sylvia Demo, 24.9%. Sun's tirade. As Irish references 13 different drugs. Now, if you think about that tweet from the aspect of the artist, uh, maybe there was a message they were trying to convey in their music. And, you know, as some personally, as someone trying and failing to write a book, I know how ridiculously difficult it is to adhere to a coherent theme for long periods of time when you're creating. So my main goal when creating those kind of analyses is uh, to find the narratives and the themes that the artist was already intending to put into the world and just quantifying them, bringing them to the forefront in order to praise the artist and to give the listener a deeper understanding of the intent of the artist. But I am not the artist, and I've not been through what they've gone through. I've not lived their experience. I'm not the one who created their album. So all I can do in that situation is prepare myself as well as possible by finding interviews, listening to the music over and over, and I get it wrong sometimes. And luckily with Zay, I got it right. I haven't been called, I actually haven't been called out by an artist yet for getting it wrong. Um, but I know a few artists who don't like my account at all because they don't believe I should be analyzing music that way. And I fully agree with them. Like, you know, I, I avoid analyzing their music for that reason. And in the past times, like, you know, I've done things that I'm not comfortable with anymore. You know, in the past, I've, I've analyzed Drake's political content or Kanye West's mental health content prior to Life of Pablo. Um, you know, even the, t- the amount of times Cardi B mentioned stripping uh, on evasion of privacy. And the reason I did that was Jermaine Dupri came out and said that all women rap about is stripping. So I wanted to prove that that's not true. But at the same time, I don't feel comfortable with having done that analysis. And it's not an analysis I would do now. Same with the Drake political, Kanye mental health. And I think that's where things get sketchy because, you know, I've crossed lines that I wouldn't cross now. And, you know, I'm starting to project something within me onto those artists in those on those occasions. Like, you know, someone said the other day, I shared it with Charlie. It was like, oh, why doesn't Drake talk about more political things? And this person was like, why? You know, like, you don't need that from Drake. You know, they're not interested in that from Drake. And that's obviously how he's built his career. It's not a point of criticism, I think, to criticize someone in that instance, because it's not the kind of music they make. It's like, you know, not every artist has to be speaking on socially conscious conscious things. And by them, by quantifying that, I'm implying that he should have been. And then that's when I have implied something and have created a narrative that didn't need to be out there. I don't think it needed to be out there in the world. It was an unnecessary tweet. Um, and I got a lot of traction from it, but it's not a tweet I feel comfortable with now, you know? And I'm I'm not a reviewer. That's not my, that's not my role. I'm a resource, but... It's so, it's not possible for us to be objective in these circumstances. You know, it's just not possible. And that's why you'll notice on hip hop numbers, there is so little me analyzing the lyrics now. It's not very much at all. Like, I don't, you know, new albums come out, I don't go into it and analyze the lyrical themes anymore because people, you know, I, I just don't feel as comfortable doing it as I used to do it. Maybe I've learned more, maybe I'm more cynical, maybe. I don't know, maybe I've changed or gone in a different direction, but I just don't, I don't enjoy that. Now there's the other side of it where, 
you know, I started hip hop numbers because I heard subjective discussions around what could be objective facts. Now, I feel like the game name drops a lot. Well, let's find out. You know, I feel like Kanye West references himself more than any other rapper. Well, let's find that out. I feel like mainstream hip hop has become more political since Trump was elected. Let's find out. These are different. I think that's a different, uh, a whole different conversation because that that's, you know, there's not a narrative to that. Like, oh, the game likes to name drop. You know, that's, it's not that big of a deal. And I think it's about the, in, in that sense, it's about the utility of the statistic. And if we drag it back to what Charlie was saying, it's about the utility of the narrative. It's about the utility of the discussion around that piece of art and the dissection of that art. What is the point of that? You know, when I did the the Big Day stat for Chance's album, you know, the marriage statistic, it was taken negatively, but that's okay. I'm still comfortable with that statistic because that was the intent of the artist. Clearly, the album was called The Big Day. It was literally about his wedding. So quantifying how much of it was actually about the wedding, there's an, I, don't, I don't see an issue with that. When I post Drake's political content, I don't feel comfortable with that. So there's a difference. You know, what's the utility of discussing Drake's political content? We already know that. Everyone already knows that he doesn't really rap about political stuff that much. You know, saying that views are 0% political, there's no value to that. You know, there's no value to that. So, I mean, I've personally been stung by people creating false narratives about me and my account. I've read uh, KTT threads about my account with people claiming that they know me, claiming I've offered them internships, claiming the account is run by a group of people. Um, you know, imagine how artists must feel having to deal with narratives constructed around their their art that's entirely separate from their intent Bro. and perspective. Banksy. <laughs> I am convinced Banksy is several people, but in the same in 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 that little bit you just said, like uh, people thinking that hip H H and N is several people. I, I I just got that parallel. So, That's the yeah, thing, just... man. That's the thing, though. And look, what Banksy's sitting at home reading all this shit. Oh, Banksy couldn't just be one. If it was one person, Banksy's he like, can't. hey, hey, like he feels the same way I felt. Probably way worse because you know. And I'm like, hey, hang on a sec. And they're like, oh, you know, hip hop numbers is this conglomerate of people, and they're run by all the major accounts on on Instagram. It's a cabal. I'm like, relax, man. It's one person. Like, come on, man. So I, but I do think, you know, I do think that that art exists exists separate from the artist a lot of the time. But yeah, I I think that that's a whole other discussion. And I think with regards to me saying that uh, about my account, that's why I don't, you know, that's why hip hop numbers is starting to exist more in the way that chart data exists. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's less lyrical narratives. Um, and I think it's because people are looking for things to be pissed off about, you know, people are looking for things to, to run their own kind of like negative narrative about an artist. And I don't want to be part of that anymore. And so if you circle all the way back to your old Droog and Mac Homie, I can't run those lyrical analyses without the lyrics on Genius. I can't do that. And that's why I wanted to do this episode was because not because I felt personally attacked, but because I had took a fucking good, long, hard look at my account about 12, 18 months ago and thought about some of the content I was posting and thought, you know, maybe this is accurate, but maybe it's not accurate. And if you look at Euro Droog and Mac Homie, I they've removed that opportunity for me to do that by, by removing their lyrics from Genius. And I could never be mad at them for that. And I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate it when artists come out and tell us what they meant by an album or what they meant by a lyric or what they meant by a song. I really do appreciate that. 
And yeah, I think it takes away a little bit from the the kind of the wonder of an album, you know, the wonder of a lyric where you can have your own interpretation and project it onto your own life and then it can feel more relatable in that sense. Uh, if you take that context, it will give, give more context around the lyric than it removes that um, that way that you can apply it to your own life. And I think a lot of pop music is like that. You know, I've said that repeatedly on here that pop music is a way for artists to produce something that's blank enough that a majority of people can project it onto their own unique situation and feel like they're being heard or they're being seen. And, and that's how it works. And hip hop's not like that a lot of the time, you know, it's very complex and intricate and the narratives are, are very important. So, um, yeah, man, that's just circling back and like a bit of self-awareness that I had to have about hip hop numbers. Um, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So we can uh, happily uh, leave it there. It's a good, uh, it's a good combo. Good chat. Good pow wow. Um, Right, so hop on to lighter note and uh, just two things. Um, thanks for uh, tweeting Lorange about. Oh uh, yeah, you Mish saw Kuba. that. <laughs> Get the answer. I was going to say, like, I was about to read it out, but you saw it. Yeah, no, I I saw it. So hopefully Lorange listens to this and uh, gives love on that. Shout out to Lorange uh, too. I just want to say, like, people probably yeah. don't know this about artists a lot of the time, but like, I interact and and have DMs with Lorange, and he's a really nice guy, and he's really supportive. And he's just a fucking good person, like, and an honest and authentic person. So, yeah, if you don't know that about Lorange, you know now. Fucking good person. Appreciate you, Lorange. Okay, well, uh, hopefully uh, you won't be uh, too out of the way to uh, send him the link to this episode. Yeah. Um, all right, so I have, I have a question, uh, just to say, like, because I, I, li- I heard a song today, and I was just like, I was like looking up, and I was just like, this is so weird. So... I would. I. I, I want to know if if there's one song. Is there a song where you where you hear it and you look up the background to it and you're just like, how the hell did this song even come about? You know what I mean? Or you just like, how did this? I either like how did this person this person connect or mm. like just why? Ha, yeah, just. I have. Uh, is there a song where you're just like, I have questions and I don't think they can be answered. Hit me with your answer, and then I'll I'll have a think <clears> about <throat> that question. Any Kamozi's, uh here comes the hot stepper. <laughs> I have no idea how this track came about, because for those that don't know Any Kamozi, I uh, hope I'm saying I hope I'm uh, oh Any Kamozi. Aini Kemozi, yeah, um, I was I was saying it wrong. There you go, Aini Kemozi. Um, so he's a reggae artist. Um, uh, you know he, uh, uh, yeah, he he's done some he's done some good stuff. Um, World of Music, uh, which is uh, one of the tracks I know of very well, was like the sample to uh, Damien Marley's classic uh, "Welcome to Jam Rock." So that's how I got into uh, Aini. Uh, but <clears throat> I totally forgot that Here Comes the Hot Stepper was by Aini Kamozi. If you look up all of Kamozi's other singles throughout his career, uh, none of them chart, except uh, except the last one, which is Listen, Listen Me Tick, uh, which charts at 88 in the US. But Here Comes the Hot Stepper charts everywhere. Four in the UK, four in uh, Switzerland, five Sweden, New Zealand first... Australia second, uh, US first, France second, right? Everywhere. So I look it up. <clears throat> I look it up because I just heard the track re- uh, today and I was just like, oh, I forgot how much. This is a banger. Who, who even did this track? I, t- I never actually looked it up. 
and it was in Aini Kamozi. So I looked up, so I looked up properly, and Salam Remy is the fucking producer. <laughs> it samples, it samples Ladi Dadi by D Dougie, D Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick, and Hot Pants by Bobby Bird, and the Champ by the Mohawks. And uh, uh, and the song's instrumental samples, according here, says a uh, uh, drum and bass from the Heartbeat by Tana Gardner, uh, and also guitar notes from Hung Up on My Baby by Isaac Hayes. Uses the na 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 chorus from the Wilson Pickett cover of Land of a Thousand Dances. I'm j I just have questions. Like, how did Idi Kamose one get in the same room as Salam Remy? Two, why did they produce this track? And three, why is this his only genuine hit? It's so jarring. I have so many questions. It's so weird. It's a banger. But nothing else from his work makes a dent anywhere. And it's so fascinating to me. It's such a tune. It is such an absolute tune. But I'm just like, what? It's so weird. That's weird, man. That's fucking weird. That's, um... I can't, you know, I don't know what to say. Like, it's just weird. It's weird how these collaborations come about. I just, I just, I just have so many questions. I just really need to know, like, because he's a, he was, he's a regular. He's not, he's not someone that's like, you know, I, I went to the US to make it or something like that. You know, what I mean, he's, he was a regular. It's for a good fit for like a, I don't know, a good. Oh, fuck, I feel like I'm taking off. Um, yeah, no, yeah. So right, he's a, yeah, his first single in '81. Uh, then here comes Hot Stepper in '94, right, bro? He's a, he had a, his career was going off for a minute, over a decade, thirteen and years. And then he drops, and yeah, exactly. And then he drops. Here comes the Hot Stepper. I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It just maybe Salam Remy like sampled some of his shit, and like he was like, I have to give love or something like that. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm assuming someone had to make the, someone made the call to Aini. I don't know why. I think it wasn't the other way. But I just, I just need to know. I need to know the the background of this track. Uh, I I just I have so many questions. Like the amount of samples that is in this as well for a track that's in '94 uh, is an, another one as well. I, it's just, I well okay. It says the song was originally recorded with. Uh, okay, okay. From the patois for a man on the run from the from the law, uh, which is a great great fucking uh, uh, etymology of a, of a word. Uh, the song was originally recorded with Philip Batiste Burrell, Jamaican record producer, and they are remixed by Salam Remy. Again, more questions on top of questions. It's just oh, outstanding. I fucking love that track so much now. Yeah, it got listed like in a lot of... Uh... A lot of a lot of like like long time lists like Blender listed it at four ninety two in their five hundred greatest songs since you were born. Yes, yeah, wild man. It's just a tune. Right, that's that's kind of what all I wanted to say. But it was just so much. I I need background. I I just it's just a song where I just want background on it. There's no song in the world I want more background on than this track. It's just it's, it's so many worlds colliding. It's, it's it just doesn't make sense to me, and I'm I'm here for it, but it's just I just need answers. I felt that way. Anyway. I, I would have felt that way about Jay Z and, and Lincoln Park if they didn't do the the DVD, you know. And I think it was a good that's a that was a weird collab. That was a really weird collab because Jay Z yeah. had been retired. He retired like a year prior, and um, 
you know, he was he was a CEO of Def Jam, and so they just reached out to him uh, and said, do you want to do a, a collab EP? And he was like, yeah, sure, six tracks. And then, yeah, I mean, that was a weird... That was that was weird, man. You think about all the things that, but at the same time, like he was massive. I sometimes I wonder about like Limp Bizkit and, and Method Man, you know, Limp Bizkit and and Eminem and like. But I mean, Limp Bizkit were huge in the early two thousands, you know. Like that makes sense. Sometimes I think, you know, Justin Timberlake and and Clips. When I first heard uh, the joint, is it like I Love You or the the first one off his off his album, and then you know Pusha T and they come in and drop. And, but it's the Pharrell connection. So there's always like a connection. Sometimes like maybe the Jonas Brothers in common. That's a weird mix. That's a really what? weird mix. Yeah, apparently they... I, I was just Googling it to get oh, a little bit yeah. of inspiration. And apparently they had a song uh, together. That was weird. Um, you know, they was okay. people were saying like Wale and Lady Gaga. But that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. I don't see a problem with that. T-Pain, Taylor Swift. That's normal. Um, Kanye's had some weird ones. He's had some weird ones. Uh... But yeah, man, I, I don't know, like, maybe Sting and Twister, that's a weird mix. That's a weird that's mix. That's a good one. That's a great one. Yeah, that's good. I've got a question on that one. That's good. That's Sting a good pick. Sting and Twister. Uh, Sting and Twister. They mm. jumped on a remix of Sting's Stolen Car. Yeah, interesting. Back when CDs were a thing. So it was on the B side of Jesus it. Jesus Christ. And apparently the... the um, the Twister version is actually better than the Sting version. So, you know, that's a weird... Twister, shout out to Twister, man. Twister's a Twister's a legend. But yeah, there's some there's some weird clubs, but like I don't see I don't see it as that weird. D-La Soul did a song with Teenage Fan Club in the 90s. Uh, that was a weird song. I think Cypress Hill did a song with um, Sonic Youth, but that always felt a little bit more, that felt kind of not, not super flow. Like I didn't expect that, but um, you know, I could understand that Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth, but yeah, man. Some weird mixes, eh? Yeah, I just um, yeah, I, I, it's it's not all about like how weird the how weird the uh, the Kamosian Salam Remy whatever it is collab is. It's not about how weird it is, it's just like uh, how random it yeah, comes it about, about in yeah. like the context of careers and just yeah, and just uh, uh yeah, it's it's just there's just a more to it for me, <laughs> just questions I have. But yeah, it's it's interesting, and uh, now I know that Jonas Brothers and Common, common track. Common had a that's song a, in Jonas Brothers. Hey? That's a fact. That's honestly that's a fact I could have done without uh, I mean, the rest of my life. There's a few. Here we are. There's a few. Like yeah, you know, yeah when, we can stop there. No, when yeah, Miley yeah. did uh Miley did the Flaming Lips uh collab. He continues. Oh my okay. days, man. Oh my <laughs> days. What the fuck was that? Like that was all like know. Brad know, Paisley and LL Cool J with accidental racist. You know, like don't know, don't care. Oh gosh! But what yeah, was no, the conversation? Yeah. yeah, thanks. Thanks for putting me onto that one, by the way. What was, was the yeah, conversation was before that don't record? What were they talking? Like, how did they meet? Did they just don't, meet in a bar don't. somewhere? Did they just like <laughs> they just <laughs> and you know what? Well, oh, you're Brad Paisley. Let me talk to you about something I I've been thinking about. Oh, you're LL Cool J. Like, I've been thinking about the same thing. You know what? We should do a song please about stop. this. Like, what? Please, please stop. What happened there? Oh. <laughs> don't make me laugh <laughs> ladies and gentlemen on the 5th podcast network it's been digging digits hope you've enjoyed this episode I've been Charlie Taylor for the 5th I've been Ben Carter for Pop Numbers we hope you all have a good week enjoy us try and do the same 
But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza Mini Games by Bonus Points. Place to chop records for the bid to use. Socials with the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and chop records will be in the full show notes for everyone listening. This has been a fifth element podcast and production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.